0: Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, so today we began delving into the letters of the New Testament. Um, We've talked about the four Gospels, as they're called, the um, biographies, uh, mm-hmm. different kind of biography, but the, the life of Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we've talked about Luke part two, which is the book of Acts. Um, and the rest of the New Testament, for the most part, fits into the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. We talked about the travels of Paul, and during some of those journeys that he was taking, he is writing letters inspired by God, inspired by the Spirit, uh, to... Teach these Christians what they need to know. And that's what most of the rest of the New Testament is, is us reading someone else's mail,
1: these letters. And so what we're going to try and do, we're not going to go through the letters from Paul or the other writers in the order that they are in the New Testament. But we're actually going to go through them roughly in chronological order as we look at Paul going on the missionary and preaching trips. Um, And so, again, some of these letters, it's hard to nail down exactly when they were. Um, but we can still get a general idea from the contents of the letters, and that's why we decided to start with First and Second Thessalonians for the pod today.
0: So we're going to actually go back to the book of Acts to start, and you can do this with a lot of the letters in the New Testament, is to look back at the book of Acts and see, well, where did this church begin? You can't do this with all of them, But several of them, you can get some really helpful background information by saying, okay, when did Paul meet these Christians? Did he help start the work there and uh, then kind of piece together uh, things that we learned about them from the letter itself? But we'll start reading in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas
1: away by night to Berea. And we'll stop there and read more about Berea in the next section. So Paul comes into this region of Thessalonica and Paul is kind of well into his routine at this point. He shows up in a city, he goes into the synagogue and he preaches a sermon about Jesus Christ. And it seems to be going well there. Uh, He's actually there for three Sabbaths in a row reasoning with them from the scriptures and i'd imagine paul's pretty excited like oh you know things are going well people are hearing me out but that kind of doesn't go for that long because people begin to get irritated with paul and what he's doing but it is noteworthy to point out that uh, that there were a lot of people that were obeying the gospel and there were people joining and following uh, christianity but the jews become jealous And that's the exact reason why Jesus died. Uh, Many of the Jews, chief priests and the rulers, they became jealous of the following Jesus got. And the same thing takes place here in Thessalonica. And so these wicked men form this mob, sends it into an uproar, attacks the house of Jason.
0: Apparently one of the disciples there.
1: And uh, even says that, you know, they've come into this place and they've upset the world. Uh, some older translations say that they've turned the world upside down. Oh,
0: and newer translations. That's what oh, does says. your
1: ESV does? Okay, yep. my New American Standard misses that. Um, but it's really a, an exciting time for this church. But then Paul gets ran out of the city. And these people didn't like Paul so much that uh, if you keep reading in Acts 17, when Paul gets into uh, Berea, uh, Luke notes for us that the people in Berea were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. But then those same people that ran him out of Thessalonica come into Berea and then chase him out of there as well. Mm -hmm. And so can you imagine being Paul and leaving this very, very young church behind where persecution is rampant? I mean, Paul got ran out of that city but the Christians are still there. So that is kind of the backdrop for these letters that Paul is going to write to these mm-hmm. brethren. Because likelihood is, is he didn't want to leave as soon as he did, but he probably wanted to stay. Yes. And so when we read these letters, it, reading the book of Acts first
0: helps them come alive. That these are real people Paul's writing to. There's a context for what's going on. And when we read these letters, there's an original context. And then we're going to see lessons for us as well. They're timeless. But understanding the original context of them really helps them kind of jump off the page for us. And so, like you said, Chase, you've got these young Christians, most of them. Uh, Paul has been had to very suddenly leave. And part of the first part of 1 Thessalonians is going to be kind of explaining what happened. I don't know if all the Christians knew, like, well, where'd Paul go? Um, And so some of the themes that we're going to see in these two letters, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, which this might be a helpful place to say that the first 13 letters from Romans all the way to Philemon in your New Testament, the title of the book comes from who it's written to. Okay, uh, All 13 of these are written by Paul, so you don't have 1st through 13th Paul. <laughs> you have Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, etc., Um, And so first and second Thessalonians are from Paul to the Christians in Thessalonica. And just like we say Americans are from America. Thessalonians are from the city of Thessalonica. And so we see they're young Christians. They're dealing with persecution. And so he's writing to encourage them to continue going. Um, We're going to see several times in these two short letters that Paul prays for them or Mm -hmm. tells them what he's praying about for them. And that's really cool in a lot of Paul's letters, but there's especially several of those in these Thessalonian letters. Uh, One of the other things he'll hit in both of the letters is the need to work hard and take care of yourself, but also be able to help other people. And actually Paul himself, because of the, the need for that teaching was working himself. He wasn't taking support from them financially so that he could be a good example. And he talks in both of the letters about the day of the Lord. There was apparently some misunderstandings about Jesus' return and what that would be like. And so in both letters, he takes some time to describe what they can anticipate. It doesn't give us all the details, but um, they apparently had some questions about that. And Paul is writing to address some of those things.
1: Yep. So that brings us to the very beginning, 1 uh, Thessalonians. Uh, it's Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. So Silvanus and Timothy would have been these co-senders. Right,
0: and Silvanus is Silas. Yes, other who name was actually
1: that. there. Yep. Um, and so they would they would be familiar with who both of these guys are. Uh, to the church of the, Thess- the Thessalonians, in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. And we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. So there, from the very beginning, is a prayer, like Stephen was talking about. Um, Paul mentions how they're in mind. But what's really important to see, as we just looked at that backdrop in Acts 17, is what Paul says in verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians 1. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So here's the really cool thing that Paul does from the beginning. As he first talks about his own example and their own example while they were in Thessalonica, that they were working hard for the Lord that then had an impact on the Thessalonians who in a great amount of tribulation and persecution still became Christians and were being faithful. I mean, Stephen, can you imagine, like we're very blessed, we're, we're able to become a Christian in a society where there is persecution and some hard things, but not maybe in the same ways we see it there. Can you imagine becoming a Christian then? Like when you could very well lose your head the next week for making this decision. And Paul is saying, you all made that choice um, in light of the persecution that was around you. And so they're imitating Paul's example, and then Paul says, your example is now going to the saints of the Macedonians and Achaia. So I, I just think that's really cool that you kind of see the passing along there mm-hmm. um, of, of the encouragement.
0: Yes, and as just a side note, when he talks about Macedonia and Achaia, Thessalonica was, if I remember correctly, the capital of Macedonia as Paul's passing through that region. And uh, Achaia may well be where Paul is in in Corinth. Uh, Corinth, if I remember correctly, was the capital of Achaia.
1: And so... um, Yeah, in Acts 18, we know he spends about a year and a half there. mm -hmm. um, And so that might work out for the timeline there.
0: Yes. So I say all that to say it's really powerful to see how Paul sees the example of the Thessalonians, that even though they're young in the faith, the story of their conversion and the story of their endurance and trial has been such an encouragement already to other churches. So basically in the first half of this first letter, First Thessalonians, the first three chapters are going to mostly be Paul describing the time that he spent in Thessalonica and part of the reason that he had to leave so suddenly. So when we get into chapter 2, um, he talks about how they received the gospel and how Paul did this in sincerity and even mentions uh, you know, that they did not come with greed, uh, which is how some of the other false teachers who were going around in those days, they were trying to get money, uh, fleece the flock, so to speak. Uh, but he describes his relationship to the Thessalonians. I love Verses 7 and 8. In chapter 2, he says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Um, He loves these brethren and would do anything for them. And one of the things that he did do for them is in the very next verse, verse nine, he says, for you remember brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And so Paul, through his example of loving them, working hard for them, not accepting money from them to prove that he's not being greedy, would have been a tremendous example for them. because. especially as we'll see later in the letter, uh, both of the letters, that some of the Christians there were struggling with laziness, mm-hmm. were struggling with not taking care of themselves, yep. not working. And uh, Paul, specifically to be a good example, was willing to forego the support that he could have received so that they would learn how to work hard.
1: And uh, the other thing that's interesting in chapter 2 is Paul both kind of sees himself as a mother and father figure mm-hmm. to, to this church. Um, in verse 7, we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother mother tenderly cares for her own children. Um, and then down in verse 11, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So Paul kind of sees both that gentle side that you typically see out of the mom, and he's being gentle as as much as he can with them. But then you also see the father figure in him where There's some exhortation and some encouragement that comes where it's like, hey, you need to step up and do the right thing. And Paul has been both of those things for this congregation. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of a cool thing to see.
0: Yes. So at the end of chapter 2 and really going into chapter 3, we learn about what happened after Paul suddenly had to leave, after this persecution arose. And Paul was not attacked, but Jason was. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 11, he says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers... For a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. And then he talks about in chapter 3, verse 1, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. So he knew they were suffering, and he's like, "We got to send Timothy back. Make sure they're doing okay." And the end of chapter three, in verse uh, chapter three, verse six. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us, as we long to see you. Mm. The report from Timothy was good, and so Paul is kind of just giving these first three short chapters as a recap of what he did when he came the purpose uh, of the gospel and his example. And then, hey, we heard that you guys are doing well. I'm so relieved to hear that y'all are standing firm even though you're suffering and that uh, you love us just like we love you. And so you see a lot of affirmations of love from Paul in his letters to these Christians. These were not just not just a checklist. Oh, got to write a letter to the Thessalonians. But he, he loved
1: these brethren, and you can see it in these letters. So the other cool thing to see is, okay, if Paul didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with them, there were likely some things he wanted to talk with them about but didn't get a chance to. And so although the first three chapters are kind of establishing, hey, I left abruptly, I didn't want it to happen that way, but it did, the rest of it is going to be, here are some bare-bolts things that you guys need to know right now. You're so young in the faith, you're so new to this, here's what I need you to put a focus on. That should really stand out to us. Uh, We we should want to hear, like, if if you're a new Christian, what kind of things would Paul want to say to you? That really is the backdrop here in 1 Thessalonians 4. And he gets right into it. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1, he says, Finally, then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification, so he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. So Paul kind of has three things to say to them. Number one, don't stop growing; you you gotta keep growing. Number two, one of the ways you can do that is by prioritizing your sexual integrity and your purity before God. Your sanctification is what he calls it.
0: Which is another idea of like holiness, yes. being set apart.
1: Um, thirdly. He talks about not defrauding your brother or transgressing against your brother, but really calls. But Paul is calling them to unity as the church. Um, and those three things are really important to see, um, that we are growing, we are staying pure, and we are working together and not looking to do any wrong to our brethren. Yeah. Three really important things for every. Christian to want to follow.
0: Mm -hmm. And that spills right into the next section in verse 9 where he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Uh, And so one of the things we'll see in a couple of these passages, um, like verse uh, 1 and verse 10, do, do this more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be stagnant. Uh, yes, you are Christians. Yes, you are in Christ. You're growing, but you've got a ways to go. Don't don't stop and just keep pushing forward. Uh, so I really think that's helpful and important.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, kind of going into uh, another important thing that they need to think about is what happens when we die. Um, and so Paul, at the end of chapter 4, says that he doesn't want them to be uninformed about those who fall asleep. And I don't think he physically means like you catching some Z's you know, in bed, that kind of thing. But what he's talking about is Christians who die. And that's a really fascinating idea. Um, pretty consistently through the New Testament, whenever a Christian dies, it says that they fall asleep. Which is exactly uh, Paul's point, is that we will awake um, when the Lord Jesus comes back. And that we need to be comforted by that idea that the Lord is going to rise, or excuse me, that the Lord is going to come back and then we will rise with him. And those that were dead will rise from the dead, but those that are still here on the earth will meet the Lord in the air. And so Paul ends that section by saying, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, There is a lot of joy and comfort that comes from knowing that the Lord Jesus is going to come back. The Christian does not have to fear death because we know it's only temporary. And Paul is reestablishing that for these folks. Again, how important is that for a new Christian to know? Yes.
0: Well, apparently some of the Christians there had died, and they were confused about that. And again, we don't know all the details, but maybe the persecution had gotten to the point where some of these young Christians had actually lost their lives for the sake of the word. But regardless of the specific circumstances, he closes this section... Uh, by saying in, in 4.18, therefore encourage one another with these words. Um, don't be discouraged about those who've gone on ahead of us. They're not missing anything. You know, They're actually going to be raised and we're all going to be together and meet the Lord in the air. As he says
1: in uh, verse 17, we'll always be with the Lord. So that really moves him into talking about that day of the Lord. Um, when is it going to happen might be the natural question that comes next. When is Jesus going to come back? Well, um, Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 5, you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. Um, And so Paul uses an analogy that we've heard Jesus use, as well as uh, Peter will will use it as well. And that is that Jesus is coming back like a thief in the night. You don't know when he's going to come back. If you did then you would be all prepared for it. And his point is, you need to be prepared because you don't know when it's going to happen. Right. And so um, his call to them in verse uh, 5, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Uh, Wake up is what he's calling them to do. Be ready for this day Yes, and get to work.
0: That's right. And and so I love that there's kind of two concepts that you have as... Christians are looking forward to the coming of Jesus, the coming again of Jesus. One is an eagerness for that. We want that to happen soon. We want to see our Lord. We want pain and death to be abolished forever. But we also recognize that we've got a lot of work to do in the meantime. And any day that God gives us on this earth to continue doing his work is a day that we need to be out doing everything that we can for the cause of the kingdom. And uh, we see both of those things here Um, and his encouragement to them saying, hey, listen, look forward to the resurrection. That's going to be a wonderful thing. Let that comfort you and motivate you. And In the meantime, let's let's do this. Um, He calls them to to put on the armor. Um, This is kind of like the book of Ephesians as well. When he says in verse eight, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so he encourages them to be soldiers, to endure hardship, to take up the armor, and to do what the Lord wants them to do. And so at the end of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, he gives them some final instructions and uh, to respect their leaders. Um, and look, I really like verse 14, 1 Thessalonians five fourteen. He says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. There's different kinds of people with different kinds of needs, and they need different kind of handling, kind of like Paul was both a father and mother to them in this letter and dealt with them in different ways. Different groups needed different kinds of encouragement, some of them more firm, some of them more gentle. And so Paul closes this letter saying that he's giving thanks for them. He tells them to rejoice always, verse 16, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ
1: Jesus for you. Yeah, and on that, uh, there are two places in 1 Thessalonians where Paul says deliberately, this is God's will for you. Uh, The first place was in chapter 4 where he was talking about uh, remaining pure sexually, and then God's will for you is to pray without ceasing and give thanks. And if there's any advice I want to give any new Christian or any Christian at all, Stay pure and keep praying. Those two things are the will of God for you. So I like that those two things are kind of coupled together in the book.
0: So that gets us to Second Thessalonians, which seems to be written not long after First Thessalonians. So perhaps Paul is still in that same region of Corinth on the second journey in the book of Acts. When he is writing this second letter to them, perhaps a follow-up to some of the questions that they had, he'll come back to some of the same themes of the day of the Lord when Jesus comes back um, of hard work and making sure that they're continuing to, uh, to push forward. So in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, um, he opens, as he often does, uh, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you in peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and giving thanks for them. But pretty much immediately, um, he talks about their steadfastness in suffering. In verse 4, he says, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. And then at the rest of chapter 1, he talks about another element of the return of Jesus is to actually take vengeance on those who are persecuting them, on those who are wicked and will not repent. In the New Testament, the coming of Jesus represents both the reward for those who belong to God by his grace and serve him, and punishment and vengeance for those who rebel against the Lord, will not submit to him, and are persecuting even uh, the ones who are following the Lord, which is exactly what the Thessalonians are dealing with, So in 1 Thessalonians, he comforts them with like, hey, you're going to be together with the Lord. And in 2 Thessalonians, he's like, and when the Lord comes back, there's going to be fiery vengeance on those who persecute you. And there's another kind of comfort in that. It's not that we are just wanting people to suffer, but we're wanting justice to happen. And that involves God punishing the wicked. And sometimes we're uncomfortable with that idea in Scripture, but it's part of the whole biblical picture of who God is. And so I think reading both of these letters together gives us a helpful uh, kind of two sides of the same
1: coin Mm -hmm. with thinking about what's going to happen when Christ returns. Yeah. And so in chapter 2, while Paul is talking about the coming of Jesus, he goes ahead and lets them know about an interesting thing that uh, we'll be up front we're not 100% sure about, Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, in verse 2, uh, he says that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. And so Paul warns them that there is going to also be this man of lawlessness that comes. It calls him a son of destruction, and he is in a position where he is deceiving the saints and deceiving the people. And the reason why that's relevant in talking about the day of the Lord is that that man of lawlessness will come to an end, he will be judged, um, and that the Lord, in verse 8, will slay... Uh, with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all powers and signs and false wonders. And so Paul is reassuring them that whoever this man is, they might know who this is, they might not. They might have found out, we're not exactly sure, but the point is, is he's coming to an end. And that really kind of gives way into an overall application. There are going to be a lot of false teachers out there. And there are a lot of false teachers out there now. And might they, Stephen, go their whole life teaching what is false and get away with it in terms of, like, no one catches them? Mm-hmm. Certainly, but not in the day of the Lord. They, their judgment will come, and there should be comfort in that, that the Lord will be the one that punishes them for the false teaching and for their false um, nature.
0: Yeah, and so th- this man of lawlessness uh, or man of sin, your translation might say, is not explicitly identified in the text. I do think it's interesting that sometimes people try to connect the man of lawlessness with the Antichrist of First and Second John, and I think there's some differences there that are interesting. One is that in First John, he says that there are actually multiple Antichrists yeah, exactly. who are already in the world, um, and this seems to be something that's more in the future, that they're saying, oh, no, like, the Lord Jesus could come back, like... Immediately, and he's saying, actually, there's some other things that have to happen first with this man of lawlessness before Jesus will return again. Um, and it's a, there's a real chance that the Thessalonians may have known a little more than we do. In, in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 5 and 6, it says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Yeah. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. Paul doesn't, rehash all of that and so again we're reading kind of a half of a conversation and we have everything we need to know about this God has seen fit to preserve this letter for us but it may well have been that Paul's original audience may have had a little bit more of that conversation available to them that's the case in a few instances in the New Testament but like Chase said earlier I think the bottom line that we get to with this is that we need to be people who love the truth Um, in verses 9 through 12, at the end of this section, he says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth Mm -hmm. and so be saved. And when we don't love the truth and we are willing to believe what we want to believe instead of loving what is the absolute truth no matter if it's what I want or not, God will often allow us. If that's what we're really bent on is what we want to believe, he will allow us to be deceived. You see this in like Romans chapter one and other places in the New Testament. And so it's all the more reason to make sure our hearts are pure, that we really want exactly the truth from God. And that's one of the big takeaways, at least for me,
1: uh, from this section. Yeah, that, that's right. Um And it ends with 11 and 12. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. There's judgment coming for even those who receive this message and receive what's false. um, And God allows that. Um, And so that that needs to be understood as well, that ignorance is not a means of escape. Uh, we, We need to examine the truth for ourselves and love it, like Stephen was just saying. Yeah.
0: And so like he often does, as, as he's come down with kind of a very intense judgment section, he pulls back and says, but I'm, I'm not talking about you guys. <laughs> like yeah. you guys are standing firm. He says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. Um, so that's really helpful. Um, To see his confidence in them, he gives them some very strong warnings that they need to watch out for, but is convinced that they're on the right track and need to just hold on, endure the affliction that they're facing because it's going to be worth it. And and again, this is a section where you have a couple of different prayers Mm -hmm. recorded. In, In 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 16 and 17, there's a prayer. In chapter 3, verse 5, there's kind of a prayer there. And he asks for prayers in 3.1. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, he's asking them to pray for him that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. That's what Paul wants. I mean, that's Paul's whole, that's what makes him tick is seeing this the word spread and continue to grow and that people will continue to turn and have faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and so that uh, that I think is always on the front of Paul's mind, and it should be on the front of our minds as well, that the word of the Lord will spread.
0: Yes, Amen. So so chapter 3, really, the bulk of it is another warning against idleness. And this is where uh, the famous phrase comes from in verse uh, 10, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone
1: is not willing to work, let him not eat. Yeah. And Paul was a good example of that. That's what he points out uh, in the verses right before that verse um, Stephen just referenced, that even when he was with them, he did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And we did this, verse 9, in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. So Paul isn't just preaching this, but he was practicing what he's preaching Mm -hmm. in that he was providing for himself. And there is discipline to come for somebody that isn't willing to work. Um, Verse 11 Paul says for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life doing no work at all but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you brethren do not grow weary of doing good. And so there's this tricky balance that Paul is trying to strike with these brethren because you can imagine in this church you have some who aren't working and so they're trying to get food and all this stuff off of the rest of the brethren and the brethren are shelling it out but here, Paul is saying, get up and work. If you want to eat, uh, you need to work for it. But to the brethren who are helping them out, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't, don't become resentful and bitter toward those people, but continue to do the good work that you're doing. And so if, if both parties will do what they should, there will be a good end result. And Paul says something in verse 14 and 15 that I believe is serious that we need to follow today. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, Take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Paul says if there are people who are reading my words, a commandment, it is a command, he says in verse 6. And if they don't listen to it, then there needs to be discipline there. Something needs to be said about that. And there is a withdrawal that happens, a a non-associating with this person that isn't wanting to submit to the word of Christ. It was a similar thing that we saw in 1 Corinthians 5 that really results back to something Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15 through 18. Um, and so, Lord willing, we'll look at that whenever we do 1 Corinthians. But nonetheless, um, the, the point and purpose of this withdrawal or this discipline is so that they may come back, and so that you may admonish them as a brother and see that they need to heed the instruction that Paul and the apostles have given. To the brethren don't treat him as an an enemy but admonish him as a brother
0: mm-hmm. yeah and so Paul's a short conclusion at the end of this second letter to the thessalonians uh he says in verse 16 and 17 now may the lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the lord be with you all i paul write this greeting with my own hand this is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine it is the way i write the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you all um we do know that uh, there uh, were false letters going around. Yeah. He mentions it a couple of times in um, it, these letters where he's like, hey, watch out. In verse chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Don't be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us yeah. to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And uh, here at the end he says, hey, you know this is me, Paul, writing this. You know, this it's the real Paul. And so, again, these Christians in Thessalonica were dealing with a lot, but these letters gave them the strength that they needed and the knowledge and understanding that they needed to know that the Lord was going to be faithful, the Lord was going to take care of them in all their afflictions. He was going to come back and make all things right, take care of them, punish the wicked. and In the meantime, they needed to be working hard, keeping themselves holy, and working to spread the gospel. Um, And isn't that exactly what we need to hear? All Christians in every age. And that's why these letters, even though we're kind of reading someone else's mail, they're recorded for all time in every culture because there are uh, principles here that apply to all of us. And uh, it's a beautiful thing that God has done in preserving these letters for us. Yep.
1: Amen. Lord willing, next week we are going to be looking at the book of Galatians. Um, It's a really practical book. It's actually kind of a miniature version of Romans in some way, so it's, it's really fun to kind of see some of the highlights in that book. So Lord willing, we'll take a look at it next week. If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, leave us a rating or a
0: review so we can reach more people. If you'd like to study with us like this, if there's a book you'd like to look at, reach out to us, 717-585-0949 or capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information on group studies and worship, check out capitalcitychristians.com.